right. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. I am still here with Matt Langston. We are going through the uh, Nashville Statement. He is reading the Nashville Statement to me point by point and getting my response to it as a real-life gay person um, (laughs) with a real partner living the real-life gay agenda. (laughs) And (laughs) As Fox News would put it. As Fox News would put it. (laughs) And uh, we're doing this because so often gay people are excluded from the conversation and from this process. And so uh, we thought we would change that. So this is the third episode in a series about the Nashville Statement. This is kind of a rambling, semi-drunken on my part um, (laughs) conversation. And definitely go catch up on the previous two episodes if you haven't yet. All right. So I think we're on seven. Oh, I thought Article we had, I thought we had moved to eight. Oh, wait, wait, yeah, okay, yeah. So, okay, yeah, so yeah. if we skip one, my apologies. You can go, <laughs> go read it. But we, I, we're going to move on to eight. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure this website will be up for a long time. These, it's these not are, going anywhere. These are kind of getting a bit repetitive. Yeah, these are kind of getting a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot redundant. of the same stuff. It's almost like, but I'm like, ugh, I'm bored. Yeah, when you're doubling down on something, <laughs> I'm not bored. Yeah, but but it's getting a bit redundant. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Article Eight says, we affirm that people who experience sexual attraction for the same sex may live a rich and fruitful life pleasing to God through faith in Jesus Christ as they, like all Christians, walk in purity of life. So we deny that sexual attraction for the same sex is part of the natural goodness of God's original creation or that it puts a person outside the hope of the gospel. So don't worry, Stephen. There's still hope. I mean, I, I can only imagine like being a gay person and then feeling like like uh, the leaders of the day of the evangelical tradition yes. are speaking down to me yeah. in this completely unloving way. Like there's still hope for you. Yeah. You can still make it right. It's like with no acknowledgement whatsoever of my, my of my human experience here on the planet. One of the things that has really hurt over the years is just that. Mm. Is this feeling of of being talked down to of of people trying to help me but reaching down from a mm. place of moral superiority to lift me up. Right. When the reality is that I have in general lived you know except for my my breakdown when i had that that season of my life that was very dark i i lived a life of purity of mm. sexual purity and even then people treating me as a as somewhere on the lower case system mm. and they have to reach down to that lower cased level yeah to help me and that did really, really hurt. It hurts for people to talk about me from an ivory tower. Mm. It, it hurts for people to sit in a room together and discuss this and come up with these statements. When what I need, what <laughs> I need you to do, regardless of what you believe about me or not, yeah, is to come do life with me. That's what I need. Yeah, and, and you know, there are times when I'm I'm kind of amazed at Christians, where someone will say something to me like, um, you know, homosexuality is not God's best for you, or 
any variation of there are so many hundreds of variations mm. on the conservative tune and i swear i have heard every single one it's and, my understanding of jesus and all the stories that i read about him in the bible that he is not so much a person that will come by and reach down yes he's a person who will come by and get down exactly with you yes and not in the fun way yeah you're right (laughs) not in a 70s disco 70s disco jesus uh yeah that would be pretty awesome too though he's got to be be out there somewhere somebody google that gotta be um yes and what what i want to tell people is do you really think the gay community hasn't heard this Right, yeah. Do you really think I haven't heard this? I don't care what you think because I am willing to bet money mm. that I that what you're about to say to me, I have heard a million times. Sure. And that it will do no good. And what I need you to do is to humble yourself enough to just listen. Mm. And that's what I need Christians to do. And so I think that's why I didn't read the Nashville Statement. I think that because um, being gay, we just hear it all the time. Yeah. And and it isn't new to us. And and that's—there is kind of this weird disconnect for me because the Nashville Statement has made a lot of news. And I understand why. And it's given people something to talk about. On the other hand, though— I hear the Nashville statement every single day of my life. Mm. And it isn't new to me. Yeah. It's something that I have been dealing with for my entire existence, for all 29 years of my life, basically, yeah. in some shape or form. And I think that's why I didn't read it is because I'm I I already know it. I've already heard all this so many times. Yeah. I think yeah. that I think that that a lot of Christians and in particular, I'm I'm just referring to my evangelical sort of we are recording Protestant okay. upbringing, like that because Christians don't know what to think about the LGBT community, and because that lifestyle is considered by their teachings to be sinful and not God's best, that they're constantly equating people with sin. Yes, <laughs> like. So they can't even see the person anymore. And I think one of the big disconnects is like, so it's really important for you guys to not associate with an entire people group who are hurting and who need your support because it's sinful. But you turn out in record numbers to vote for a president who takes pride in sexually assaulting women. Yes. I let me put another spin on yeah, it. Yeah, like that that's that's when it's hard it's hard to justify any of that. Okay, so let me put another spin on that. The gay community, one of the greatest crises that the gay community ever confronted is the HIV and AIDS epidemic. Okay. okay it took thousands and thousands and thousands. Mm. It it and that isn't to say that just gay people get it. Other of course other people get AIDS, but we we were and are in the United States. This isn't true around the world, but in the United States, in the Western world, the gay community is disproportionately affected, from what I understand. Mm. And it took Ronald Reagan, the Christian president, 
I believe, five to seven years to even say the word AIDS. Mm. He, <laughs> after it had by that point <clears throat> killed thousands of people. Right. And it was a national crisis. And here was this underclass of people right. who were literally being wiped out. Sure. And the federal government, that that was the the epitome of Christian of the Christian federal government, the, the Christian president, Ronald Reagan, the figurehead of the right, he didn't do anything. Mm. And he said nothing. It was it wasn't until five to seven years well after the epidemic was on its way and it had already claimed thousands of lives that he even used the word AIDS. Well, as with most political figures, it I mean, I would assume it probably would have cost him votes. Exactly. But it wasn't costing him life. Exactly. It wasn't like directly affecting him. Exactly. And <clears throat> I, I think that the church has a very short memory. Mm-hmm when it comes to crimes against the gay community. Mm. We still remember that. Mm. The gay community still remembers that, that the Christian world and the Christian president stood by and did nothing while we were literally dying of a plague. Right. And, but the Christian world has just has this very, very short memory. Yeah. And you, and I want to say you expect me to listen. You expect me to, to just take these things that I've heard a thousand times over about my gender and, or, or my sexuality right. and take that seriously. Yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of the people that sort of claim Christian and moral and biblical authority in the world today yeah. <laughs> are experiencing their own crisis mm. <clears throat> of, I think that their fruit is showing. Yes. The fruit of their beliefs and of their ideologies is starting to show and the damage of it is starting to show. And you have enough people that are so disaffected by it that they're saying they're calling the bluff. Yeah. And they're saying no. Yeah. Like, and I think, I actually think that's where these statements come from. I think it's a, I think it's a, a power grab. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel like I it's think a, so too. Yeah. Do you think that, that it is, that statements like these is the death throes? For the right. Well, having mentioned that I'm a Christian anarchist in the previous <laughs> podcast, I mean, there's part, I don't know if it's just schadenfreude, but like, I I kind of want to see what happens. Me too. Because these people, like mega pastors, people that feel like they have the authority to speak for the rest of Christendom, that feel like they have the ability to to put the lock on how the Bible gets interpreted and to tell the rest of humanity how they should view something as sacred as their origin. I think that, the, I, gosh, just the arrogance of it. Like, I, I can't, I don't know if I can get past that. Yeah. Like. So here's a question. Yeah. If you were at any point conservative on this issue. Sure. And I don't know if you were or not. I was. I definitely was. Being gay, I was. Um, would you, in a previous life, have signed this? I think I would have done a lot of things in a previous life. Yeah. I mean, I think gro- just growing up, growing up in that that super Protestant Southern Baptist upbringing, until you go through your own crisis of belief where you're like, you know what? I think I'm just going to quit regurgitating shit that I heard in church. Yeah. And I'm just going to live life and I'm going to find out for myself or I'm going to I'm going to read 
the Bible. I'm going to find out. Like yeah. I'm, I want to understand what this Jesus guy is all about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've come to a vastly different conclusion than anything else than that I was, given. yeah, than what I was given and the conclusion that I was given. Sure. And I feel like the church does an awful, awful job of facilitating journeys for Absolutely. young people. And instead they give them, here's where you should land. Yes. And anything here's, other here's than Here's the that, lily pad yeah. that you have to jump, but that in, you have to land on. In doing so, you you bastardize creative thought. You you I feel like you and you, you hinder the, the journey. Process. Yeah. You miss the human process. And um I you know, I was thinking about this on the drive here to this episode is in a previous life would I have signed this document? And I think I would have agreed with it. I don't know if I would have signed it because I I think I would have been uncomfortable with aligning myself. I think I would have been uncomfortable with the shutdown of conversation even then, even yeah. at my most conservative point. Sure. I think I would have not signed it because I would have just wanted to continue on the conversation. I right. and I wouldn't want to to shut it down. But that was a that was a good question that I had to ask myself is mm. You know, it's really easy for us to cast these things in black and white yeah, and to say it's us or them, it's us versus them, when the reality is, just several years ago, if I had been in the position, I would have agreed with this and would have considered signing it. And and admitting that to myself gives me a a degree, I don't, it doesn't give me patience, it doesn't give me it gives me it gives me a, a a level of nuance i think sure yeah that that i think i need in this conversation i think when you need people to sign something and i'm speaking specifically from my my own personal experience with everything that happened at the college that i worked at yeah i'm just like why do you need my signature on it yeah you don't get my signature you don't get to have a chokehold over my spiritual experience. And your evolving faith. Yeah, and you don't get to speak for me. Yeah. Just like I don't get to speak for you, I don't want to. Yes. So, okay, so let's talk about that. Let's. What was your experience at Montreat? I mean... The, the Cliff Notes version, I know it's, it's probably super complicated. No, it's just like all of life, man. Yeah. It's... Part of it is just incredible. There's some incredible people that I got to meet there. And and just to be clear, you were a professor right. of music. Well, I, of audio production. Of audio production. <laughs> I would have been a super shitty professor of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but like yeah, I taught I taught students how to make albums, how to make records, how to awesome. um, how to program. Like, and I loved doing that because it's what I do for a living anyway. So like being able to share that and. And also learn how to convey thoughts and ideas, how to be an educator, mm. I feel like was an education in and of itself for me. Yes. And so you kind of start to care about people and and start to feel like, oh, this could be this could be so awesome. This could be something that I really want to invite other people to and I want more students to pour into. I want these experiences. Yes. Um, and then you have people who from my perspective, it just seemed like they're so disconnected from what's actually happening in the classroom. Mm. And they kind of get together with their rich white guy group yes. of people uh-huh. and to, to decide what's best for everyone else. And I think it's the, the circumstance felt condescending. 
all the experiences that I was having with people in the upper, like, like with the president and everyone yeah. else, it was just, gosh. Where they, so they were the, so they were disconnected from working with the students and they decided that this statement on, on what was Christian doctrine. Oh, yeah. It was was the pressing thing. Like it right was now. this tiny college in North Carolina. It was they they bore the weight of having to take a stance. Yeah. For all of their employees. And if you don't agree <laughs> on this one issue, and if you don't agree with that covenant, then you're out. Yeah, of course. If and you don't you, agree with it, and you weren't able to sign that, I was covenant. not able to sign a covenant out for a myriad of different reasons. Yes. Number one, I'm not like I I'm not interested in your. In, in your homosexual debate. Yeah. I'm not interested in it. I, I have gay friends and I'm not going to do anything you're that not, would ever make them feel like I wouldn't affirm them as You're people. not going to talk about them no. in such a way that they feel demeaned. Not with them in the room. Absolutely. I'm like, we're sitting and, here having a conversation about the LGBT community and you haven't invited a damn one of them yes. to come be a part of the conversation. Yes. Which just shows me that you've already decided that you don't want to hear it. Yes. You don't want to hear the other side of the coin. You don't want to know how it affects other people. You don't want to see how damaging it is. Yes. So you don't want the whole truth. You want you your truth. And you don't want to hear the experience from actual gay students. You know, I, I heard from a professor that, that a gay student there recently had to start carrying mace because he was so worried mm. about the, the, the other very conservative jocks, for lack of a better term. Yeah, for uh, of he was afraid for his safety <clears throat> in that environment. And yeah, that's not uncommon. Everyone's been made fun of by someone who plays sports. Yeah, in their life, yep. like true stere- story. Stereotypes are real. The Simpsons is funny because they are. Yep, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, that's the truth of um, it. Like, <clears throat> and yeah, so there was there. I actually heard that as well. There, yes. there was there. There were a few students that had kind of started to feel like you know. It doesn't feel like it felt like it was getting to be pretty safe for me around here. Yeah. But then and, and here is something that makes me sad about this is and and the the phenomenon of purifying in general. Purifying, we talked about this in a previous episode, purifying being the process through which a community starts <clears throat> to purify its collective beliefs. And so it starts excommunicating people who have even the slightest disagreement right. with one another. Okay, so I went to Montreat miserable fucking experience for mm-hmm. me. It was a it was very a really really dark time of my life for a lot of reasons, but one thing that I did really appreciate was actually there was a lot of diversity there among yeah. the professors. So I had professors who were, you know, I had one professor bring me into her office because I wrote a piece. I it was an English teacher. Yeah. And I wrote a piece about being gay. And she brought me into her office and she sat me down and she said, Stephen, I just need to tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and I support you and I love you Mm. and you are perfect the way you are and I think it's great that Mm. you're gay and I'm so glad you're here. Okay, so I had professors who told me – I had several professors who told me that and then I had professors who hadn't really quite made up their mind. And then I had professors <laughs> who were very conservative, but yeah. they they respectfully engaged me. Sure. And they and they and and they didn't demean me and they didn't shut me down. Yeah. You know, I had I had several and so I had professors along that whole spectrum that was so 
good for me. Yeah. That was so good for me. And I think especially in an academic setting, there should be that that kind of well, diversity. Because that, that's actually mirrors the real world. It mirrors the real world. And it trained me for the conversations that I would eventually have, where there are people along all sorts of spectrums of belief. And yeah. we are going to have to somehow figure out how to do life together. Yeah. That's life. And I have to work with people who disagree with me and who agree with me and who are somewhere in the middle yeah. of all varieties. I And that's life. And so Montreat College trained me to kind of deal with that yeah. with these different professors. What Montreat has done is they have stripped that. And I think yeah. that is so incredibly tragic. I, I think there there's a lot of sides to the story. For instance, I have an awful lot of friends that it did end up signing the agreement for one reason or another. Sure. Some people sign it because they're like, you know what? For whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to sign it and I'll figure out what I want to do next. Yeah. And I'll take their money in the meantime. Sure. And then you have other people who are like, well, no, this this makes perfect sense to me. And, and they're maybe not super connected with people in the LGBT community. And so they, they're removed enough from it. That it isn't that pressing it's like, to oh, them. it doesn't what's it gonna matter anyway? I don't have gay friends one way or the other. It doesn't other. affect me. <clears throat> and you know, I as our Christian culture as our culture at large is purifying. Yeah. And I think that is largely a result of social media. And it's a result of social media and as society becomes more progressive, we we become people are becoming more entrenched and yeah. the right is feeling more threatened and is becoming more entrenched. So I it isn't just the Nashville statement. Yeah, that that's doing this. It's places like Montreat College, and then I've talked to pastors who feel trapped because their denomination releases an official statement on homosexuality that they feel like they have to get behind in order to be pastors, but they don't know what they believe because they, you know, they were conservative, they are conservative, but you know, they've met a lot of gay people who are a greater witness to the sanctity of marriage what than most gay couples. What do statements do? Statements are there for the benefit of the people that wrote them and that agree with the statement. But you haven't really done anything but put up another wall. You've put up exactly. another divisive tactic and like I to mean, separate you from everyone else. So, th yeah. and, and I mean that, that, that was kind of my point earlier when I said this is nothing new to me. Yeah, I haven't. Th I've heard every, I've heard all of this. Okay, if you really want to do something for the gay community, yeah. Come help us. Come, go spend time. Spend time with us. Do life with us. Is you, time the gay community's love language? Would that be, <laughs> be yes. safe to say? I, well, you know, I'm not going to speak for the whole gay community. Sure, but it, in my experience, what I want is for people to just spend time with yeah. me. Spend time with me and my partner. See yeah. what life is actually like for us, and that means that you will be able to speak more graciously about it yeah, and more clearly about it. If you really want to help the gay community, the Nashville statement is not the way to do it because we've already heard all that bullshit. Yeah. We already know it. Yeah. Anyway. Speaking of the... <laughs> Speaking of the Nashville statement... <laughs> we're at Article 9. Okay. We're, we're progressing. We're yeah. getting there. Yeah, we are. Um, so we affirm that sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and towards sexual immorality. So marriage covenant being mentioned in maybe the first three articles um, towards sexual immorality, a distortion that includes both heterosexual and homosexual 
immorality. So they're not discriminating, Stephen. They're they're talking about straights and gays. I'm so reassured. Thank you. Good. Um, we deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. Okay, read the read the denial. The like, deny one more time. My, yeah. my my attention span always like fizzles out right when you okay. get to the denial. <laughs> <laughs> we deny. That an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. So what they're saying is you can't kick the habit, and that's not an excuse. Yeah. Like if you if you continue if you continue to indulge in your pattern of desire for what they consider to be sexual immorality, um, it doesn't justify your sexually immoral behavior just because you're in it for the long haul. Yeah. <laughs> well, my immediate gut reaction. Uh, no, mm. it doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't, it just does not work. Yeah. I feel like it, it doesn't, it doesn't function that way. I feel like these articles actually almost double down yeah. on this, like pray the gay away therapy on, on conversion therapy. I think it's doing something even worse. Okay. Okay. I think, okay. So in general, ex-gay therapy, so I'm a, I'm a survivor of ex-gay stuff. And in general, since Exodus International, which was the flagship ex-gay ministry, right. the, since that has, has closed down, the church is kind of coming around mm. and saying, no, this doesn't work. And Alan Chambers, the president of the Exodus International, I think in like 2013, mm. said on a panel at the Gay Christian Network, right. you know, 99.9% of gay people he knows have of ex-gay people he knows have not changed their orientation. Uh-huh. Okay, so and then since he said that it just all collapsed. So I think the the church in America and UK is is slowly moving on. And then of course in the Catholic tradition, they never really believed in ex-gay stuff from what I understand. They were always in into celibacy. Mm. So but now they are they are progressing from ex-gay to celibacy. So basically saying, well, no, you can't change, but it's still a sin. Yeah. Uh, just imagine there there is a there is a breakdown of empathy here. Okay. So you're married. Mm. Imagine if I were to tell you that that relationship that you have with Jessica is fundamentally evil. Right. Is fundamentally sinful, and that you, and that God will never bless it. That God will never bless. He'll it, never use it. And that any expression of your heterosexual sexuality, right, is sinful. And for the rest of your life, you must remain celibate. Yeah. What would that do to you? Just out of curiosity, I, I, like I, I, the first thing I would I would say is probably, well, fuck off. Yeah. Because this this is real. This is real, and you're real to me. And you and you and Jessica have such a beautiful marriage, and love each other so much. Mm. You would have to put your commitment to Jessica. Yeah, she's she's amazing, and I think if anybody were to try to say anything, like, who are you to to talk to me about my relationship? You know nothing of me. You know nothing of our relationship. Exactly. And and what I want to tell people is, do you really think that I devalue my relationship with Jonathan? To the point that I'm going to give him up. I value the sanctity of marriage to such a degree right. that I am not going to give him up. Mm. And let's see, I, I lost my my train of thought. Um, 
it's the alcohol working yeah. on, <laughs> on my synapses. Um, yeah, but you were talking about like what what would you what would it be like if if it was role reversal and somebody were to come into yeah, your relationship there's, there's and say a, nothing about its honoring? There is a breakdown of empathy here, yeah. and, and so to say that you, I I think in a way on its face, and I'm not going to. I do think that ex gay therapy is incredibly destructive, and I say that as a survivor. It is good that it is going out of fashion. There is a way in which on its face, it's actually more redemptive and mm-hmm. it's more hopeful yeah. because if homosexuality is sinful, if it is a perversion, and if you can change, well, at least you can change. And at least then you can have a heterosexual relationship and a family and fulfill that part of your human yeah. nature. Okay. There is a sense of hopefulness. Now, the great abuse, the great horror is that that isn't actually true. Mm. It doesn't actually work out that way. Now, we're so instead we're moving to something else, which is on its face even worse. Yeah. Which is you're fucked, right? Okay, Wesley Hill, who is a kind of a figurehead. I I really want to have Wes on the show, yeah, um, at some point to kind of hash this out. Sure, Wesley Hill is kind of the figurehead, I guess, for the gay celibate movement. Okay, if you can call it a movement, and he has a book out called Washed and Waiting, mm-hmm. basically saying so you're washed, you're sanctified by God, yeah, and you're waiting. It for <laughs> death, I mean, for for heaven, you're waiting for well, the return of Christ. He has and to so be you're, you're in this limbo. Yeah, you're in this here now, but not yet of the kingdom. This idea that the kingdom of God is here right now. Christ is living within us, but it isn't here fully yet. And that here fully yet would, I guess, be the. Re, you know, would result in a full sanctification of my It sounds sexuality. like it has these overtones of I kiss dating goodbye. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I'm, Washington yeah, waiting. Does. Which actually, I've never read the book. I can't say. He's probably a stand-up dude. Incredibly well, actually, smart. from what I understand, that that dude who, are you talking about Wesley Hill? Wesley or the Todd? Hill, yeah. Wesley is great. Yeah. And that's the thing, is, is Wes, Wesley shares the gay experience yeah. even even though i disagree strongly with him and i think his beliefs are fundamentally damaging and um i think that side b oh, okay some terminology here i'm yeah. trying to not use terminology that the world doesn't understand sure. but in the gay com- in the gay christian community there's side a which is the belief that gay people can get married and that's good side b is the belief that people shouldn't get married or have sex that's bad gay sex that is right okay so side a side b side b is celibacy. Um, I think side B is incredibly destructive because it puts you in this in this place of suspension. Most people cannot hold that suspension. Most people cannot say, well, I am gay, but I'm going to shut down my sexuality because guess what sexuality is connected to? Sexuality is connected to partnership. Partnership is connected to your emotional well-being. The, the, your ability to love a partner is also connected to your ability to love friends right. and to love family and to love any person close to you. Right. Okay, love is an ecosystem. Mm. And when you shut down your capacity for partnership love, you shut down everything else yeah. or at least a lot of stuff. And that was my experience. Love is... I can't shut down my capacity for erotic and romantic love or, and partnership love without also devastating right. my capacity for friendship, right. my capacity for being a full human being. Sure. It isn't, at the end of the day, about sex. Sex is just one tiny aspect, but sex is connected to the whole. 
it's connected to the whole of of how we experience love. Right. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Am I am I making sense? No. Yeah. And and so, okay. So so that statement said, read read the denial again. We deny that an enduring pattern of desire for sexual immorality justifies sexually immoral behavior. Okay. That so an enduring pattern of desire. Okay. For a gay lifestyle. Yeah. So basically, they're saying you can't change. Yeah. That this is going to be an endearing pattern. The you know the only thing I can say to this is practice some empathy. Put yourself in the shoes of your heterosexual desire being wrong. Put yourself in the shoes of your husband or your relationship with your husband or your wife being inherently sinful and disgusting and evil. Right. How I, I would does, just be done with it. How does that feel? Okay, you're not going to have a coherent argument. You're not going to have a coherent way forward until you do that. And that, mm-hmm. I guess that's my, my response to that. Yeah, I, I think saying, it's just so hard when you have all of these people in the room at one time and they're saying, sin distorts sexual desires by directing them away from the marriage covenant and towards sexual immorality. And I'm just like, you know, a lot of you guys have to be married. Yeah. You have to understand what it's like to actually be in a marriage covenant with someone. Yes. I don't know anybody in the world that I've met yet that has had a breezy marriage. Yeah. Like Oh no, it's it's work. Marriage to me is like also part of a like it's part of a it's part of a process of an ongoing process and it's work. of redemption and it's yeah. wonderful work and it's, it's beautiful work but it's work and relationships it's hard. are and, that way and you know what yeah. what I have come to is that to me choosing monogamy or choosing relationship over celibacy is not about the easy way out right this is not an easy way out yeah it is about choosing life over death. But it me. seems like an easy way out to it, everybody who only wants to make exactly. the conversation about sex exactly. all the time. And that's the point. That's why I say it isn't it isn't about sex. Sex is just a part. And marriage is not an easy way out for me. Marriage is painful. Right. Relationships are painful and hard. But I choose that pain. I think that pain is more redemptive. Right. It is more beautiful. It is more powerful. Yeah. And more meaningful than the pain of, for me, celibacy, mandatory celibacy. Mm. Okay. If, does that make, and so yeah. it isn't about what way is easier. It's about what way is more redemptive, mm. what way brings more life. I do not want to die on the hill of my sexuality. Right. To me, to remain celibate would have been an, would have been an extraordinarily selfish act mm. because it consumed my life. It consumed my being, managing these sexual desires, managing my sexuality, being in shame over my sexuality. Because what gets your attention gets you. What gets your attention gets you. If I'm always you. focused on my sexuality. You are what you focus on. And other on. people's sexuality. Exactly. What, what are you missing? You know, at one point, a person very close to me who is conservative, but a, a person very close to me sat down with me and said, Stephen, I'd much rather see you writing books and symphonies than dealing with this. I would yeah. much rather see you writing the next great American novel. I think a lot of your friends feel job. that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was an incredibly self-indulgent act mm. to stay obsessed with this issue. And the only way I knew to move beyond that into a place of, of forward momentum so that I could contribute to humanity in this one shot of life I've got right. is to be partnered. Yeah. And that was how I knew to be integrated. Mm. Well, let's see, uh, let's see what Article 10 has to say about your integration. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we affirm 
that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism, and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. Okay. So Wait, now so, we're so getting... So this is to me now. Yes. Okay. So... so... <laughs> So, so Boo, you're in the same kit. We're we're in hell together now. That, yes. So I, we were going to end up there one way or the other, Stephen, <laughs> according to the Nashville statement. It's so fucking dumb. Um, we deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. So when I was reading this for the first time, this felt so evil and tone deaf. Yes. And this, like when we were talking about earlier, I constantly feel like Christianity is pushing me out. I feel yeah. like they're saying, no, you're not good enough. Yeah. You you don't believe the, enough right things. You don't believe enough correct things. And like experiencing that in the band and touring and like going around all these different places where it was like, we can never be Christian enough. Yeah. For anybody. And it wasn't that we were trying to be not Christian. <laughs> we were yeah. just being ourselves. And then coming from that and all of the the trauma and weirdness and baggage that come along with that to working at a college and then all of a sudden having like a president and a cabinet and a and everything come in and a board of trustees come in and basically decide what amongst you themselves have to that in order oh, to be yeah, a good teacher it doesn't matter what you've been doing here or how much you've been pouring of your heart into students and into trying to provide the best education that you possibly can for people or that your own thought and life experience that has gone into cultivating what your ideas about religion and christianity are yeah we don't care about any of that you either believe what we believe about or sexuality out. or you're out. And I just, I simply refuse to believe that Christianity can all, and that people and that their lives can all be whittled down to one statement and one article in a statement written by a bunch of people who don't know you. Yes. And say that you're not, you're not part of the club. You're not a Christian anymore. That's what makes me want to say, okay, well, fine, I'm not. You can take Christianity and go do what you want to do with it. I guess I'm not that anymore. Part of me wants to say, is this really the hill you want to die on? Right. Is this really the hill you want to die on? Yeah. I am willing to die on the hill of defending minorities, but are you willing to die on the hill of excluding them on the basis of Christian belief and saying that this is the litmus test? Is this really the litmus test? I thought the litmus test for Christianity was if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. I thought that was the litmus test. And following the person of Christ. Now, we, there is precedent in the church to disagree about a lot. And sure. And I think this is where I get to a really fun—I mean, I dis, I have fundamental disagreements with, like, every single point of this statement, but I, I get to a huge disagreement here with them about what the church is. I think the church is rooted on, on this evolving community flowing from and trying to understand and embody the person of Christ. I, I think that's very true. I think that what that looks like, like I think that there's there's parts of that that you and I um, 
because of our life experience, are, are readily embracing. And yes, we want absolutely. to embrace and be a part of that. But I also think the other side of that is that when you have people that haven't had our life experiences or don't see things the way yes. that we do, all of that movement, they would define as being a cultural shift yes. away from fundamental Christianity. And so therefore, we are in the wrong. We're the sinners. We're the ones that don't get it. Yeah. But then at the same time, as I'm sitting there reading all of that, Stephen, I'm like, I think we're reading the same Bible. Mm-hmm. And this Jesus guy who you're saying like needs all of these rules for, for, for me to get everything from him that, that's coming to me. Like, isn't this also the same Jesus that allowed himself to be crucified and that he had two people next to him as he died? Yes. And the worst of them by all of our moral standards. Yes. Is the one that he reached over to and said, "You get it." Yes. And exactly. I guarantee you, we would have looked at his life and yes. and by this admission, I guarantee you that he he wouldn't have matched up to this to, exactly. to the the spirit behind whatever this statement is. Exactly. That we would have excommunicated him, he would not have been a part of the fold. He would have been somebody that we would have said, "No, your sin separates you. Your sin separates you." And what I see Jesus doing in the Bible is the exact opposite of that. And all he did was recognize who Jesus was. Exactly. He recognized him. And, and you know, I know gay people who have a greater sense of the person of Christ mm. than many straight Christians I know. And part of the reason is because they are outsiders. Mm. Part of the reason is because they have been relegated yeah. to this outside community. And, you know, I've been in gay churches yeah. watching gay people worship. And it is it was an incredible awakening experience for me. And, you know, part of the process of Christianity is disagreement. Yeah. In my opinion, it is an ongoing debate. And I think something that we could really learn from from the Jewish tradition is that the disagreements are actually part of the tradition. Yeah. In the commentaries on the Torah, they'll say Rabbi so and so said this, but Rabbi so and so said this, and Rabbi so and so said this. And and all of these differing perspectives and they don't sometimes they don't even most of the time they don't even really come to a conclusion. But all of those different sides of the debate are in Are, are are preserved. Yeah. And I wish we had more of that attitude. Quit arguing about what the book says. Yes. The book tells you about something so much greater than the book. Yes, exactly. Follow that. Exactly. Follow what the book is pointing you towards. This is where I think this the Nashville statement gets really damaging. Yeah. It is one thing to say I disagree with you. It is another thing to say I disagree. You're out of the fold if you I disagree, disagree with, with you, me. therefore you're out of the fold. And I think that's that's why it, there are a lot of people who disagree with me who still see me as committed to Christ and as a Christian. Sure. And and part of the church and part of the kingdom of God. Yeah. What was the term they used? Moral indifference. Yeah. We right. deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. Okay. I think that Christians can agree to disagree because that's a fact of life. I wish we didn't have to because ultimately I think that this is not an issue of moral indifference. If I allow you to tell me what that scripture means, I forfeit my freedom 
to to interpret to that scripture. Yeah. I think that we can agree to disagree, and I don't think that this is an issue of moral indifference. Absolutely. I th- I there that's a false equivalency. It's it's wrong to it isn't true that because I believe we can agree to disagree that I don't think that this is a profound moral statement. I believe that people who disagree with me are in fact in grave error. I believe that they are in grave sin for not affirming the foundational human rights of other human beings. Right. I think that is a grave and mortal sin. Mm. I am not morally indifferent to it. Yeah. But it is human reality that we have to agree to disagree. Or to say that if you don't either believe it or disbelieve it, that like that there's there's no room for discussion. Exactly. Like to shut the discussion down, it's like, no, but why? Yeah. So that you can maintain your illusion of of power or of authority or yes. who are we? This is this is another another thing that I kind of and I get that there's I get that there's a lot more than just two sides to the story. Like I'm I'm not trying to I'm this is just one person's opinion. So like this is just us venting. Yeah, just like take it with a grain of salt. But gosh, are are we not tired of this yet? Exactly. Are we not tired of I'm listening s- to other people tell us what we should and should not and think? And I am so fucking tired of it. As a gay person, <laughs> as sure. someone who's had to live with this, I am so tired. And three, three or four years ago, I just collapsed beneath the unbearable weight of all of this. And I had to distance myself from it. And then I met John and I... I basically just had to commit myself to living life with John in such a way that being gay was no longer the most important thing to me. Right. To the point where I was no longer aware of being gay. I was just aware of living life and loving my partner. Right. And the thought of him being a man, just not crossing my mind. Right. But that he is the person that I love. Right. And getting to that point where... I could be okay, and it didn't have to take up so much space on my hard yeah. drive. I just wish that Christians would land on their identity being in Christ. Yes, me too. As it's said in the Bible, and not in their sexuality. Me too. You know, there's also just not a central creedal statement about homosexuality. There is none in the central creeds of Christianity. Mm. There is nothing about homosexuality. To me, we are emotionally confusing secondary issues with Mm. primary issues. And those primary issues are who is Christ? Who is God? Who are we? Our state and and the cross and and the resurrection and so on and so forth. Those Those are the central questions of the Christian faith. Yeah. This is a secondary issue, but the church is, in my opinion, emotionally confusing primary, secondary for primary questions. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, you know, again, this is kind of where I, when I was reading the Nashville Statement, I just thought like I was being treated like the people at, or like some of the people at Montreat had treated me. Yeah. Which was felt really dehumanizing. Absolutely. And now it's like you have other people who don't even know me and they expect and me doing to agree with this. I'm done with statements. Yes. I'm done. Like what what does this statement serve? And they would say, Oh, it's to clarify where Christians stand on this. And then I kept hearing that from from the Montreat folks as well. We're just clarifying this is what that's that's one of the arguments that kind of drives me insane. It's like we're just declaring what Christians have believed for thousands of years. 
And I'm like, let me clarify for you what my grandparents believed <laughs> as Christians also just 20 years ago. Let me clarify that up until 100 years ago, a little less than 100 years ago, there is one thing that united uh, Protestant, Orthodox, and Catholic traditions. These three massive traditions that were just in constant war with each other. Mm. There was one thing that they could all agree on, and that was hatred of the Jewish people. I thought you were going to say beer. Well, that too. They, <laughs> they loved their beer. Yeah, for sure. Their, their, their hatred of Jews. Their hatred of Jews. Okay, that was the one. And that has been an established tradition for 2,000 years. Okay? Yeah. And then it wasn't until the Holocaust that the church was like, oh, maybe we fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... And, and now we don't even know that. We don't even remember that because it has been so thoroughly wiped away from the church. Mm. Okay. Tradition is no precedent for truth. Right. Truth is true no matter who says it or where it comes from. Yeah. Truth is true no matter if it's old or young, if it comes from the mouth of a sinner or a saint. It doesn't mm. matter. Yeah. Truth is true, no yeah. matter where it comes from. And so this idea that it, it's been around for 2,000 years, therefore— it's by nature true. Yeah. Is to me is just the most backwards notion. Mm. It, that that to me is absurd. What how are we doing on time? Oh, I think uh I think we can make a four parter out of it. If All we right, to. let's do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll we'll get through the next four articles in our we'll we'll try. We're <laughs> we're getting there. Well, I've we have a lot to we have a lot to say about this. Yeah. Um okay. Well, so we're gonna wrap this up. And you can see us in the next episode. As usual, music is by the Jelly Rocks, a.k.a. Matt Langston, sitting right right here with me. <laughs> and uh, art is by Justin Caleb Bryant. If you want to read more of my work about all of this stuff, including mental health, faith and doubt, so on and so forth, uh, find me on sbradfordlong.com, and I'd love to hear from you. All right. See you next time.